Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. <laughs> BFFT. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. Well, over the years, we've talked to Herm Edwards on the show. I've enjoyed my chats with him. Outspoken, interesting, never boring. Herm Edwards, never boring. You know? Remember, uh, once upon a time, he, uh, he agreed to play a 9 a.m. kickoff. Against USC, remember that? Well, I think obviously it promotes our conference uh, nationally, and uh, we're always looking for that uh, to get more eyeballs uh, on our conference and, and the way we play. It's a unique conference in the fact that um, it's very, very competitive. It, uh, and then I, I asked him uh, the lesson he got from his parents. Remember what Herm Edwards said about that? What do you still carry with you that you got from mom and dad that you that maybe crosses your mind? Well, that. Um, the most powerful possession that your parents give you is a good last name. And um, those were my walking orders. And with that being said, they told me don't screw it up. <laughs> and they were right. Herm Edwards let go by Arizona State. Did they mutually part ways? Was he fired? Doug Holler covers the entire state of Arizona for the athletic. He's been all over Arizona State for years. He uh, has been on that beat and knows the program. He joins us now. Uh, were you surprised, Doug, that they did it midseason? Hi, John. I was surprised, um, mainly because, you know, with the way the NCAA investigation has gone, as investigators have turned up, you know, talked to, uh, interviewed people as evidence has come forward, they've made changes. Um, you know, they've five assistant coaches have left the program since, since this thing started. So everyone assumed that at the end of last season, that would be it for her. Um, instead, Ray Anderson and Michael Crow, the school president, um, offered support for Herm. So everyone was thinking, you know, going into this season that Herm would coach this season and then he would resign. Um, you know, he's 68 years old, but that would be it for him. And, you know, that was People inside the program, people, you know, everyone thought that was the plan. So even after the loss, and it was a bad one, um, looking around the stadium Saturday night, it, you know, it was a late game, half empty, <laughs> no energy whatsoever. The feeling still was, you know, I think that they, this is going to, you know, it might get rough, but they were going to see it through till the end of the year. So the timing of it definitely was a surprise. What happened? What do you think changed with the calculus there? Well, you know how these things work. All it, all it takes for the right donor to whisper in somebody's ear saying, uh, hey, if I'm, I'm not going to write my next check until a change is made. Um, I have not heard that. But, you know, Ray Anderson explained that it was not that he didn't, re, that he didn't resign, that he was not fired. It was a mutual understanding. You could read between the lines on that um, as much as you want. Now, I, know, I do know there's a video out there of, of, of Michael Crow and Ray Anderson meeting Herm as he walks off the field, and people are kind of looking at that and assuming that, you know, that's when they said, that's when they made the decision. 
Michael Crow and Ray Anderson wait for her. That scene unfolds after every home game. I mean, they, they yeah. do it with, with that video. I don't know if you've seen the video, but that happens after yeah. every single home game, that exact walk off the field. Um, you know, it's interesting. I think that Michael Crow may have looked around and said, you know what, we can't, it's week three in the season. You know, the fan base is already, um, you know, <laughs> they're already checked out. We, we can't go through nine weeks like this. we got to do something to start over. I, w- I would say that's the likely scenario. However, uh, you know, as of, uh, you know, within the last three weeks, I did talk to Michael Crow and I asked him about the NCAA investigation and it was ongoing. And my understanding, John, at that time is that not all key individuals within the investigation had been interviewed. So it, it is possible. I'm not reporting this. I don't know this, but it is possible that um, some additional information came forward that tied or that, you know, that tied her more to the violations and they made a change based on that uh, as well. Yeah, my read on that video was the same as what you're saying in that I thought it was awkward. It the the body language wasn't great. It looked like, you know, they were all kind of done with each other at that point. But uh, you know, I don't I don't think they're going to tell him. Like Ray Anderson's his buddy. They're not going to be. He's not going to be like you're fired in the end zone here. Um, sounded more like it was. Hey, we need to talk to you tomorrow, and a pat on the back. And you know, I think Herm probably knew. Do you think Herm probably knew? I went back and watched his press. I was in there for his press conference after the game. I went back and watched it two or three times. Just, you know, you're looking for anything. You know, it, you know, he was down obviously, but to be honest, John, he's been down for a, a while. He did. You, you mentioned going into this segment about when you talk to Herm. He's he's a great interview. I mean, anybody who remembers him from his time at ESPN, he he was he was a sports celebrity. You know, he was great. Uh, he is made for that. He knows exactly how it works. Um, he lights up whether he's on camera or on the radio. He did an interview, local radio, previewing the home opener, and it was unlike anything I've heard from him. He was, you know, he couldn't remember. They asked him, uh, the radio host asked him about the receivers. He couldn't remember. Some, he just referred to players by their last name, which is a little bit weird because he knows how it is on the radio. You've got to get first and last names. Yep. Um, he mentioned, you know, he, he was trying to recall the running back from last year, Rashad White, who was the round draft pick. He couldn't come up with his name. You know, and I thought, well, maybe it just caught him at a bad time. He seemed distracted. Uh, you know, and I, I, I texted some people and said, did you hear him on the radio? Did, I mean, did, is it just me or did he sound really kind of detached? And, you know, I wasn't alone in that, in that thought. So, you know, it's been there, – there's no doubt the investigation has weighed on him, no doubt whatsoever. Um, but definitely within the last three weeks that you publicly, from what I've seen of him, I've noticed the change. He's, he's just seemed a little unlike himself. Doug Holler is our guest, uh, covers Arizona State and the state of Arizona uh, for The Athletic. Um, Doug, I, I call Arizona State a sleeping giant. Everybody has for like two decades. Do we have it wrong? Is, is there something that's not quite in alignment at Arizona State that's holding it back that needs to be changed? Or is it just been a series of unfortunate hires and, you know, sandwiched in between, you know, Dennis Erickson and Todd Graham, you know, winning 10 games in a season. Yeah, when, when people hear a sleeping giant around here, they just kind of roll their eyes just for the reason that you mentioned. But it, it's been out there for so long. Um, does it have potential? Yeah, it has potential to, you know, every four or five years to, you know, put together that 10-win season, you know, to, to make a run for the co- conference championship. But nothing in their history, certainly within the Pac-12, suggests that they're, you know, what Ray Anderson 
throughout when he hired Herm Edwards, top 15 in the country, perennial Pac-12 contender. They've never done that. Um, okay, so why not? I mean, you, the facilities, they're, they're good. They, they compare favorably to some of the top programs in the Pac-12. Um, fan support, not the best. Uh, playing in the desert is a huge hurdle because of the game day atmosphere. Um, you know, it, you know, in the first month of the season, Arizona State, no matter, they can't have an afternoon kickoff, so they have to kick off it, you know, late. Um, you know, the stadium's rarely full, and it's usually 100 degrees at kickoff, and people don't want to come and sit through, you know, 100 degrees three hours in, in that kind of heat. Um, so there are hurdles. The administrative support, I mean, this isn't criticism, it's fact. Michael Crow's been very outspoken about it. Uh, he has said that, you know, we're not going to get involved in the high-salary games that, you know, the SEC does. We're not going to pay crazy salaries. Um, so Arizona State loses, you know, their good assistance often to, to SEC schools. Um, that was a problem. That was probably the biggest problem when Todd Graham was here. He just couldn't keep his coordinators. Uh, because Auburn would come along and pay you know, double their salary, and that, there was nothing he could do. Uh, Herm Edwards went through that a little bit. So, you know, they kind of – they don't have that commitment to really take that next level. So where they are is, you know, they're kind of that, you know, program. Um, kind of like – I know someone brought up to me not too long ago, like they need to just be Wisconsin. You know, Wisconsin's not going to beat Michigan and Ohio State every year. Sometimes they will, but, you know, every so often. But they're not going to do it every year. They just, they're just the best Wisconsin they can be. That's what Arizona State needs to be. Arizona State just needs to be the best Arizona State it can be and see where that leads them. It's interesting to kind of watch as something like this happens and then the coaching carousel, uh, you know, fires. But, you know, this season Arizona State will now turn to uh, Sean Aguano as the interim head coach. Linfield guy, a lot of people in the state of Oregon uh, are, are excited about seeing him there, but – what what does he need to do this season? What is it? Is he just a placeholder, or is there a shot? ASU rallies a little under him, and he gets a shot. Well, there's there's multiple uh, levels to that question. The first thing you have to wonder who, who's making the hire. Um, you know, is it is it Ray Anderson? Ray Anderson was asked that twice yesterday. Once very specifically, are you going to lead the coaching search? And he said he would be involved, but he he kind of dodged whether or not he would lead the search. If, if, if Ray Anderson's leading the search, I don't think Sean Iguano has a very good chance because, you know, just given Ray's back, NFL background, bringing in uh, Herm Edwards, I think he'll, he'll shoot for somebody um, maybe with a little bit more name recognition. He did say he wanted that maybe the way to go this time, is, and it's the complete opposite of what he did with Herm, is someone younger, someone innovative, someone that's a good handle, who's well-versed in the NIL and changing landscape of college football. Uh, if they don't, if Herm, or I'm sorry, if Ray is not involved, and a lot of people don't think he should be, um, it, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, you know, I, they've tried everything. I mean, they've they've tried the the NFL coaches with Herm and, and Dennis Erickson, and you know, they've tried former or the up and comer like uh, Dirk Cutter. So, it, you know, I think probably is the best bet is to hire. And I know I'm getting off track a little bit. Is to kind of go with somebody who can grow with the program because with the unknown of the NCAA investigation, which is ongoing, you know, I don't know what kind of candidate they're going to attract in the first place, but if you can get the right young guy who can grow and everybody can be patient, maybe it works out. We're talking to Doug Holler of The Athletic, covers Arizona State. Uh, you, you mentioned Ray Anderson, and, you know, he's being dodgy on the subject. I kind of wondered if this would cost him his job, if, 
if or if he would get sucked into the investigation given that Herm Edwards was his guy. Do you think Ray Anderson may be in trouble here? Yeah, um, probably not, uh, and that's not a popular opinion here in Arizona. Um, you know, it, it, it was a risky move to start hiring your buddy, um, someone who hasn't coached in nearly 10 years, uh, <laughs> someone who's, you know, in his, in his 60s, you know, it had a high risk of, of blowing up, and that's what happened. Um Ray is very well respected, though, uh, within the Pac-12, um, as you know, uh, at the high levels of the Pac-12. Michael Crow thinks very highly of him, and Michael Crow uh, in the past has been incredibly loyal to his department heads. Um, so from every – I mean, as of, you know, just over the last year, we're well over well, – we're well over a year into this, but – for most of the first six to eight months reporting, I, I never talked to anybody who thought Ray was in trouble. They, they thought Ray would, would be okay. Um, things change, so I, I don't know. And there could be a point in time where Michael Kroger says, you know what, we, might, we need to clean house and start all over. But I, I, don't, I don't think Ray's in, Ray will lose his job anytime soon. Doug, I appreciate the work you do, the insight you bring. Uh, you know, I, uh, I don't envy the coaching search that's in front of you, but I know you'll, <laughs> I know you'll crush it. Um, it. It, is the fan base clamoring for a splashy hire? Um, you know, we kind of know where Arizona State's head might be, but Urban Meyer, that kind of splash, uh, or do you roll your eyes at that? I do roll my eyes at that. I can't see uh, Michael Crow hiring someone like Urban Meyer. Uh, it's too much of a football hire for, for Urban Meyer. It, it, would, it would be all about football, and that's just not the way he thinks. Um yeah, I just don't. I don't think that'll happen. I, I, I mean, obviously that popped up on my Twitter feed several times. I know people are, are pitching for or hoping for that, but you know, I, I think the fan base at this point, John, is just happy that the Herm Edwards chapter is over with because you know it got when they decided to bring him back. You know, people are like, man, that's another year that's just going to extend this whole you know craziness. Uh, with the investigation, the recruiting has has pretty much stalled. So Arizona State's in a position where you know their only chance every offseason is the tra- is the transfer portal. And I know other programs are in similar situations, but you know right now they're using you know guys you know junior college receivers. They're, they've got a, a guy at left tackle playing at left tackle who was you know Division two, which some of those guys you, you find you can find some diamonds in the rough and plug them in those holes and they they'll do really well and you're fine. But if you're plugging too many holes, you have problems, and that's kind of where they are right now. Um, you know, one injury, and they're really going to have trouble, <laughs> um, you know, for the rest of the year. So I think the fan base right now is just happy that, you know, the, the reset button has been pushed. There may be hard times ahead, but at least, you know, it, the cycle has started to turn. They're, you know, looking for a new coach, and there's the, there's the hope and promise of better days ahead. Doug Holler of The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter. Doug, thanks for joining us. Appreciate you having me, John. Good stuff from Arizona State. Stephen, what should they do? Herm Edwards is out. Do they go? Uh, do they do what Oregon did? Do they go after a uh, an energetic young guy who's coming from an SEC program or something like that? Or do they do they go after a retread? Or do they try to reach back into their history? Or do they go big and splashy? I think they need to go the young route. And the reason why I think that is is 
I feel like they've tried to put a Band-Aid over the problems every single year. It just doesn't work out. And this last Herm Edwards experiment didn't work out. So you got to try something new, and you got to kind of shoot for the stars. Like you say, it's a sleeping giant. I don't necessarily agree with that. I kind of agree um, with what he was saying, how, you know, at the start of the year, they can't get people out because it's just so hot. There. Like, it's just, it's, there are some difficulties for Arizona State to be really good. So I think they need to try to shoot for someone with a lot of energy, a lot of, uh, a lot of passion that they can have that hopefully build that team back up. I mean, you even look at a team like Arizona, you know, Jed Fish has brought in a lot of energy to that program. He's really worked the transfer pro. I think that's exactly what they need at Arizona State. It's just a new start, a new identity, basically. New start, fresh start. Uh, Anna's popping into the studio. I want more of your phone calls. 503-417-7575 is the phone number. You got the BFT. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, Anna, I said it off the top of the show today. I wanted to talk about Bo Nix and the Ducks and Oregon State's uh, big win downtown Portland. Uh, people who were there said it was great atmosphere and Talk about the Pac-12, Washington State, Washington, Oregon, Oregon State, a collective 11-1. and one. But I couldn't start the show that way because we needed to deal with this BYU chant at Autzen Stadium. Bunch of people still holding want to talk about it. Why do you think this is such a hot-button issue? Because um, there's more than one way to look at it. Um, you know, there's part of me that doesn't want to talk about it because I don't want to give attention to it. But it feels like it's almost like we have to at least mention it because it's getting picked up nationally. So it'd be sort of ignorant for for us not to talk about it. I don't know. I think the whole thing is definitely amplified because of social media. Because it's the kind of thing where prior to somebody pulling out their phone and taking video of it, it would just not have captured this much attention, right? Am I wrong about that? I don't know. I don't know. I think on one hand, you got um, you got fans being fans. People do idiotic things when, yeah. they get, when they drink and they get in the stadium. Yeah. But if you are an Oregon fan who is kind of looking at this from 20,000 feet, there's got to be part of you that's disappointed that this story becomes the national story after such a complete butt-kicking on the field. Absolutely. This is not what we want to be talking about. And a lot of people will blame the media because, you know, the media is easy to blame and say, well, it's the media's fault that, you know, people are writing about it and uh, it, it, it wouldn't be such a big deal if the media didn't make a big deal of it. I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. Yeah, it's tough. I think it's tough uh, from a fan standpoint. I know that I would rather not be talking about it. I'd rather be talking about the game. Do you think the Utah governor by fanning the flames was trying to point out to people that, you know, hey, they just went through this thing themselves <laughs> where BYU got accused of being racist in right. the state of Utah. Yeah. Do you think that's what was rooted in there or what was rooted? What was uh, in there? I think that context is important. I think it's worth mentioning because I think when something like this happens, you have to look at, you know, people's responses and in any other situation, with would the governor of Utah really be chiming in that way or 
is the governor just trying to appeal to constituents? Mm. I don't know. I think what happened with BYU in recent months definitely plays a role. In Let's that take statement. some phone calls. Let's go to uh, Bruce, who's in Stevenson, Washington. Bruce, what's on your mind? Oh, man. Hey, I have a few things. One that cracks me up is that the governor of Utah is also in the same state as the Utah Jazz, and they have definitely been church children for the last few years, right? And they've had their fair share of challenges with fans, you know. Um, And secondly, I wanted to talk a tiny bit. I mean, I am lucky enough to know Jerry Goff, who played with Cal, and uh, was there when his grandmother got doused with beer from an Oregon fan. That doesn't mean all Oregon fans are bad, but that was not the way – I would have felt you would have appreciated, uh, you know, a kid who's contesting against you. Yeah, I, I think, look, there are bad acting people in every fan base, but uh, we can't sit here and not address this when it becomes a national story. And, you know, nobody should be dumping beer on anybody's mom. Nobody should be chanting bleep the Mormons. Uh, you know, Scoreboard Live had a story today about an Oregon recruit who was at the game from South Salem High School, whose parents heard the chants and decided to leave the stadium. They took their kid and went home. Whoops. So, uh, you know, there's tentacles to this thing that are important to address. Jay's in Beaverton. Jay, go ahead. Hey, thanks for the call. Um, I think one precept that all ethical people agree on is that people should not be mocked or persecuted for things outside of their control. This is why we think racism and sexism are so bad. But, you know, our beliefs and our values are not that way. As we grow up, we start to have more control over what we actually believe. And so I want to suggest that the comparisons to racism, I think, are a little bit problematic. And so this is where you have to talk about that kind of uncomfortable conversation, which is that the Church of Latter-day Saints has a history of putting some ideas out into the world that those people who support civil and human rights might really be troubled by. You know, it was, it's a part of doctrine that dark skin is a curse from God. It's a belief that indigenous people here were actually an evil form of Jews, and that's why they deserve to be wiped out. This explains why it wasn't until 1978 that the Mormon Church let in African Americans, and we know that the Mormon Church is guilty of many massacres of Indian people over time. So I guess I just want to say, the chant they did was totally inappropriate, they shouldn't have done it, but I think we need to make some distinctions about what we're born into versus what we choose to believe, and one might say that perhaps the chanting was more about things like standing up for marriage equality than it was about simple bigotry. I know yeah. different people will disagree, but it's worth yeah. it. Yeah, I get where you're going. I get I get the tenor of it. I think you had it right, though, when you said, hey, there's no place for it. Like, there's no place for it, and that other stuff could be a conversation that's held in a classroom, or it's conversation that people have when they go, hey, do you feel like we should be joining the Mormon church? Well, no. They, this is their history. I'm not comfortable with it. Okay, I'm not going to be a part of it. All this other stuff came up, though, as part of the Duke BYU discussion in the last couple of weeks. I saw it in news stories. I saw it quoted. I saw people justify it, saying, "Look, it's okay to to uh, classify uh, the people of Utah as racist because look at the history of the church." You know, I, here's what I want to do. I want to say what we're in control of here in this state is how we act when we're at a stadium. It wasn't right. So how do we fix it? Oregon's got to address it, and it's got to be done with more than just talk. What, Anna? You got your arms folded. You're making a face now. Well, I mean, if you want to make the argument that 
you know, the Mormon church is racist in its history and try to extend that into its, you know, modern day situation, you would just say that America altogether is racist because if you want to judge an entity, an organization based on its history, then you would just say all of America is racist. But I think we can make the distinction that we are a country that is evolving. We have that as part of our history, the uglier parts of our history, and that we are doing what we can as a country to, you know, rise above that and learn from it. Let's go to Vancouver. Dave is in Vancouver. Welcome. Yeah, so um, last year in a Clark County high school, uh, this actually happened. And it was, a, I believe it was a girls basketball game. I won't say the school. It was a big story, front page Columbian, and there was racial slurs at the game. And I believe it was the inner city Portland school. And nothing really got happened until after the game was over. They should have, you know, how many people are at a girls basketball game? 100 people, 200 people? Uh, they should have stopped the game. I guess the girls were complaining to their coach mm -hmm. that this was happening. And th they should have called a timeout and found out who was saying what and removed them right then. But then there was an investigation. They found nothing and just kind of swept it under the rug. But then it happened again in another sport, same high school, in another sport later in the year. And, again, that story just kind of disappeared. Yeah, I think we got to do a better job of dealing with things. And I want to start with what we can control. Yeah, if that's your school there should have been a thorough investigation. Like, the adults in the room need to take charge. But now I'm looking at the adults in the room at Oregon, and I'm going, okay, what do you do? Do you start identifying the students in the video? Yeah, you could do that. Do you, do you ban them for this season? Do you ban them for life? Do you give them a code of conduct? What do you do? Anna, do you support a lifetime ban for the oh, students? Oh, gosh, that's a lot. Is it yeah. not? Isn't that, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to go back and look at the things that I did when I was like 19 or 20 years old that thankfully weren't on camera. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's got to be a little room there for some reconciliation True. or the opportunity for a kid of that age to make good, you know, if it is, if they are identified as the person behind this. I want more phone calls. 503-417-7575. <laughs> We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.